Hey, welcome back to the God and Reality Podcast with Ken Kington. Ken has been looking at the life of Jesus on the previous podcasts, how Jesus experienced life to the fullest, giving us a perfect picture of how to pray and how to think. This time, Ken Kington focuses on decisions, how Jesus lived through decisions of many kinds and many categories, and how that lifestyle impacts our decisions every single day. It's Live Like Jesus, right now with Ken Kington. And this week we're going to look at if you've ever had to make a decision of any kind in any category, this is, this is today. We're going to talk about what, the way Jesus lived and how he lived through those decisions and how he made those decisions. And if I could be so bold, there's, uh, if, if you haven't been here, I'm going to give you the quick synopsis of the idea that the Old Testament, everything before Jesus, was a, it's a bow tie. This is the, this part of it. And then the knot is Jesus. And then everything after him in the New Testament that's, that's the bow tie. That's it. Jesus is the center of that. And there's an incredible verse in, in Micah. And I'm going to look at two different passages that put together, and I'm going to share some other verses with it. But if you want to open your Bibles, this verse, this verse is the decision verse. If I'm making a decision in life and I've got these three decisions in one simple verse, it literally answers everything when we know Christ. It's how Jesus lived on a daily basis. And the best way I can uh, describe it is, is really just, he says, this is what's required. I'll share the verse in a second, but if, if I can tell you a brief story, I have uh, several friends from college. My best friend was roommates with another friend of mine who was engaged. He was older. Frank was a junior and uh, his, his fiance was a senior. And yet I had a class with his fiance. She was a senior. I was a freshman. In college, we had freshman history together, and I got to tell you a little bit about Lynn before I tell you what happened in our class, but Lynn was one sweet girl, athletic, pretty, just a wonderful person, godly woman, and she was just fun to be around. She's also fun to mess with, and my best friend and I just had this kind of unconscious connection where we knew what to say, when to say to mess with somebody. And Lynn had come by to say bye to Frank. Frank was at a class, and she was going home for the weekend, and she came by his apartment. My best friend was his roommate, and, and she goes, is Frank here? And we're like, no. And she goes, well, what, what, what are you looking for? And she goes, well, I'm about to head home for the weekend. Just want to say bye before I left. We're like, oh, okay. And we just clicked. Me and my buddy, we just clicked, and we knew this was the time. We need to mess with Lynn. So we said, well, you know, it's a, it's a long drive. Did you get gas? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I got gas. You know, like, Have you changed your oil lately? Because you know, that's important. You got to change your oil. She goes, yeah, I changed it a few weeks ago. And we're like, well, did you, when's the last time you changed the air in your tires? And she was like, what? I said, what do you mean what? When's the last time you changed the air in your tires? She goes, I haven't changed the air in my tires. We're like, you have never changed the air in your tires? Are you kidding me? I am shocked they haven't rotted off your car. That's that's dangerous is what that is. And she's like, what? You guys are, you guys are ridiculous. And she goes, well, tell Frank, I said, bye. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run in there and I'm gonna, I might swing back by. So she leaves and she comes back. She walks in, Frank's there and she's mad. She's like, you don't have to change the air in your tires. And I was like, <laughs> and, and her fiance's like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, I went to the gas station. I said, hey, will you check the oil and fill up the gas and check, change the air in my tires? <laughs> 
You're like, you don't have to change the air in your tires. And she, they were like, all oh, that's great. So this is a running joke. I mean, this was 20 years ago. We still talk about that. But Lynn, Lynn would miss details of what it meant to be required. She was in my freshman history class. And after three or four weeks, I'm like, Lynn, we were in a, a kind of a Bible study, weekly Bible study together. And I said, why are you in my freshman English class? And she said, well, I don't really like history. I'm sorry, it was history, not English, history. She goes, I don't really like history, and I just thought maybe they'll forget. And I said, so you're in your last semester of college, and you're taking a freshman history because you thought they would forget. Yeah, that, that's what's called a requirement. They kind of don't forget those things. So she had to take that class. Well, here's the deal. When, when, the, when the truth says this is required... And when God says this is required, it's, it's not passive. It's like, hey, it's not something I want you to do so that you can get. It's something that's within you that if you want to experience life to the fullest, joy completely, peace, and all the great creation that I have for you, this is required. These are the requirements for that. And in Micah chapter 6, verse 8 it's this one verse that literally the rest of the Bible enhances and, and just extrapolates out. And it says simply this, He has shown you, O mortals, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Will you pray with me for just a minute? Father, I pray as we look at your truth, that you would individually and intimately speak to every one of our hearts with whatever decision we're going through, and that we would see clearly how you long to interact with our lives right now and show us how to make these decisions today so that we can experience what you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the first, the first decision we have to make if we want to experience life abundant, and I'm going to also look at Matthew chapter 5 from this point forward and look at how God extrapolates. Jesus himself says, this is how I um, just extrapolate, how I multiply, how I amplify these simple decisions. The first one is simply, we see it in there. It says, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to do what's right? I, General Schwarzkopf, the gentleman who was the general over the Iraqi war, which was a phenomenal success, was asked one time, you have all these resources, you have a very dynamic situation, how do you decide what is right and when? And I'll never forget his quote. He says, the truth of the matter is that you always know the right thing to do. The hard part is doing it. And I was like, Wow. And what God would say to you and I is, hey, I'm going to make it very clear what is right. But here's the deal. If I, I really look at what is right, I start to come to a realization of who I am and that I don't always do what is right. Too often in our society, I feel like we are living this comparison game. There's a bell curve and, well, I'm, I'm more right than most people. I'm more right than most people most of the time. But am I right? Am I just all the time? Do I stand up for what is right no matter what the consequences, no matter what the benefits? Do I step up? He puts it this way, and I've got to come to the point where I reconcile. A few weeks ago, we talked about praying boldly, and I mentioned the prayer of Jabez where he says, Lord, bless me and bless me indeed. 
Well, Jesus takes this concept of right and says, well, I'm going to show you how to be blessed and how to live justly. In Matthew chapter 5, and I'm just going to read these. You can go back and see the benefits of them. But it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, see, here's the deal. It's not just those who are poor in spirit. That's not going, oh, poor, pitiful me. I'm just nothing. That's not poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is the realization of what is right in its perfect form and where I am in my flesh and imperfection. When I realize I'm not capable of doing what is right all the time and sustaining it on a regular basis in and of myself. Oh, I'm better than most, maybe. I'm better than, than the bell curve, but I'm, I'm talking about doing what is right completely always. When I come to the point where I realize and I look at my past, and I'm telling if you saw my past, you'd be like, that ain't right. And when we come to that honest point, like these people who got baptized said, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm not there. I can look relationally where I've failed, vocationally where I've fallen short. I can look financially where I've made mistakes. I can look at that and go, I'm fully capable of doing what is not right. And I've suffered from that. But Lord, here's the deal. I realize even when I can do what is right, I can't sustain it all the time. And being poor of spirit says, you know what? I know I can't sustain it. Those who mourn, it's not a, a, I'm sad all the time. It's more of the looking at our society and looking the evil that is in our society and the wickedness that prevails around us and realizing our, our world is hopeless apart from that which is right. And, and we don't have the capacity to get to what is right. I'll give you one example of what is right. We have a country that was founded on biblical principles. And it's, it's just when humans get involved and we can't sustain what is right, and then we start doing what we think in our definition is okay, not right, but it's okay. And, and you know what? It's the best that I can do at this moment, and then it's the best that we can do. And then we're going to start playing to the populace versus what is right and what is truly best. And then we kind of go out of control to the point where I'll give you the financial example. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to live within our means. We're going to deal with the tough issues. We're going to do that. We just started spending more than we had. And now we have over $20 trillion in debt. That's not right. Instead of dealing with what is true and right. And, and that's just one example. We can do a million of them. But when I mourn, it's to say, you know what? That's not right. What can I do? What do I need to be doing? It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are meek. Those who say, you know what? I, I am acting right, but I'm going to have the power under control. I'm not going to oppress others with that which is good. I'm going to literally continue to seek what is right. Hunger and thirst, more important than water and food, is to do what is right. When I get to that point, I realize, you know what, I, I need help with this. It's a direct dependence on a divine assistance that I have to have in order to move. That's what's right it says, when you make that decision to do that and to seek me in that, then the, the next is to love mercy. Love mercy. Another way to put that would be to live selfless or to, to love kindness. I, I wish I could tell you that, that that's something I do all the time. If you were here last week, you, you heard me say, I love to give mercy to those who deserve it. And that's kind of a contradiction because mercy is unmerited favor. And I get that, and, and 
Matthew chapter 5, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. It's those who say, you know what? I realize my depravity and I know I need help. It's those moments of life that I cannot do. Now, I don't know if, I I love to watch movies, but I don't really recommend a lot of movies. But my wife and I went to see one this past weekend. And it was kind of the, the right heart behind it. And they were able to remove the cheesiness out of it. And it's actually an incredible movie and story and love story. And, and it's just amazing. It's called I Can Only Imagine, based on the song, but I, I never knew the story. And it tells the story. And I'm not going to give away the whole movie, but there's this one pivotal point about a man who is broken because a father who was broken and a family that was broken. And it comes to this pivotal point where where the, the son and the father and the father is broken and, and really is asking for mercy and forgiveness. And the way that plays out is a beautiful example of, of what we can't do on our own. It's worth seeing just for that one storyline within the movie. But then I go back to seeing mercy and kindness. To ask, the, do I love kindness or do I just like it when I get it? Do I love kindness? Do I look for opportunities to be kind, to help, to get outside of myself? Am I living in that world? It says this in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Am I looking for that situation? This past Friday, I had lunch with a couple friends, and I, one of my buddies, I'll call him Andy, because that's his name, and Andy, Andy is just one of my, my favorite people. He's just every different direction, but man, he gets this concept of just kindness, and it wasn't in a religious way. It wasn't in a, I want to tell you something way. It was just in the most real, genuine, precious way. We're at, a, at Buffalo Wild Wings. We're watching some March Madness. I love March Madness, and, and uh, Bri, uh, Riley was our waitress, and she brings out our wings, and, and uh, she goes, you guys anything else? And my buddy Andy says, Riley, can I ask you one last question? She goes, yeah. He says, we, we, always, we always pray and ask God to bless our food. Is there anything that you want us to pray for? And it was very genuine. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to share Jesus. I think you're a sinner. It was, not, it was just very genuine. What's on your heart? Can we pray for anything? She said, well, I just, I just got a new job at a new restaurant in Buckhead, and I, I, I really hope it goes well. And he goes, we'll pray for you. That was it. I thought, what an amazing gift of kindness. But then there's different pieces of kindness. There's that proactive kindness that we can be showing and looking and saying, God, will you show me the opportunity to show kindness to somebody? But then there's, there's other levels of it. The movie shows it incredibly well. But this idea of mercy, one of, the, one of the greatest examples of mercy is forgiveness. And as I sat there at lunch with my buddies, Dan and Andy, they were telling me about a men's retreat they had been on. And he says, Ken, this is a very small retreat. It's only about 30, 35 guys, and they're from all over the Southeast. Nobody knew anybody. And he says, it's just a time to pour into each other. And he says, but one of the sessions is on forgiveness. And we kind of do the, the talk, and then we give guys the opportunity. Is there anything that you want to just share with us that has God laid on your heart to forgive? He says, there's this one gentleman, he stood up. He said, big strapping guy. He said, and, and he just, big teddy bear of a guy, but he stood up. He says, you know what? I've been harboring this for over a decade. 
He's an African-American gentleman. And he says, I, I went on a peace march up in Forsyth County. And it was just, we're going to march on a Saturday. We're just going to walk and, and have a peaceful march. And he says, and people lined up. And he says, what they yelled at us was amazing. And they, they literally threw rocks at us. And he says, I could not get, I cannot get over this. And he says, I have to let this go. I have to forgive these people. I've been carrying it with me and I have to let it go. And I want to let that go today. He said, a gentleman in the circle stood up. He says, it was a short, quiet, sweet man who, who served at his church. And he walked up to him and he began to get choked up. And he said, I need forgiveness. He said, I was there. And I was on the side of the road. And I threw rocks. And man, he said, you could just, you could just feel that moment. And this man just leaned in and he says, I have felt such conviction from that day till now. And I've longed for an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. And he said, he just, he, he said, the big fella just said, I forgive you. And he scurried out of the room. And they thought, how overwhelming was that? They thought he just needs some time alone to process what he's been forgiven for. But that wasn't it. He came back two, three minutes later with a bucket and a towel. And he walked over to the gentleman and he washed his feet. Out of just a, a moment of, I, I've been shown mercy. And that's what, that's what this love of mercy, love of kindness is. It is contagious in the best possible way. It's, it's, unfa it's unmerited. We don't deserve it. And yet when it's shown, it changes everything. And in that loving of mercy, I see this, this, this idea. And God's beginning to convict me of this concept of, okay, love mercy. And part of that is discipleship. And I was at another conference a couple weeks ago and a gentleman shared this question and I cannot get it out of my mind and it's hit me between the eyes. And he said simply this, can we be a disciple of Jesus if we are not discipling others? Whoa. He says, go and make disciples. That's all he asked. Am I a genuine part of passing on his truth? Am I, am I getting his truth? Are we in discipleship? Are we doing this life about Jesus towards Jesus together? I used to say this all the time. God's convicted me of it. I used to say, do not follow me. Don't follow me. Because I know my past. And I know where it is. And if you saw it, you'd be like, don't worry, we're not. But see, the point of Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be pouring your life into others. Share your failures. Share your past. Show where I'm re I've redeemed you. Follow me, because as you're following me, others are going to follow with you to me. It's not what you've done. It's where you're going. It's what you're allowing me to do. And I realized this this past week. I was at a track meet. My daughter and my youngest son were in this track meet, and there's a young man there who was in fifth grade. And he was just at the stadium and he was dressed. Now, his parents are both from the South. He was born in Georgia. He lives in Georgia. And he's a huge Buffalo Bills fan. He had on a Buffalo Bills hat, a Buffalo Bills t-shirt, Buffalo Bills short, Buffalo Bills socks. And I knew this young man. I said, Hank, it's good to see you, buddy. I said, so you're a Bills fan? He goes, oh, yeah. Do you know why he's a Bills fan? 
because my oldest son, I'm not going to tell you the story of why he loves the Bills, but he loves the Buffalo Bills. And he babysat this kid several years as growing up. And he was so excited. He was so big of a Bills fan. This kid was like, I, I don't know why. I just want to be a Bills fan. And now he has everything Bills. Because he followed somebody who was on a track. And see, when we love mercy and we are showing kindness and loving and being real and seeking Jesus and loving mercy received, and we're giving kindness and mercy, it is contagious. And people are going to go, I want that. Had a waitress one time stop me and she goes, what's your sign? I said, I, 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 don't, I don't know. She goes, when were you born? I said, September 23rd. She goes, oh, you're a Virgo, Libra, you're on the cusp. And I'm like, okay. She goes, I knew it because there's something different about you. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? She goes, you're just... You just exude kindness, and I just, I just want to be here. And I said, well, that's, that's not my birthday. She goes, you lied about your birthday? I was like, no, 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 not, not that. I said, it's not my, it's not my sign. It's, I, I shared with her in 30 seconds. I said, you know what? I, I, I don't deserve what I, what I have. And I've been shown mercy, and I've been shown grace, and I'm not supposed to be here. And God healed that. What, what you see is not a sign. It's, it's Jesus in me. And it's just kind of coming through more and more, the more I let it. She said, I knew there was something different. And I want to be that more and more, and I'm not as much as I long to be, but I want to be it more. And I find that if I make that decision to, I, I'm, Lord, I know I can't, but I'm going to strive. I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness to do justly. I'm going to love mercy. I'm going to look for opportunities to be kind. I'm going to look for opportunities to be merciful. I need to show mercy, and I can't show it until I receive that mercy. And when I look at doing justly and where I fall short, mercy is all I have hope for. And then finally, he says, and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly. I, I look at the greatest decisions of my life, the greatest decisions that worked out for the good, and every one of them came through a trial to a point where I literally sat before God and said, help. I've messed it up to where I can't I, I've done all I can do. One was a negative in relationships. I had I'd blown apart more relationships than I can count. One day I was just overwhelmed with how many times I'd failed there. And I finally came and I'm like, Lord, what do I need to change? What do I need to do? And I asked for his wisdom and he gave it without making me feel ashamed. And he began to show me in his truth where I needed to change. And, and that ended up meeting my wife and the greatest relationship humanly speaking, I've, I could have ever dreamed of and beyond. I was in work. I was in the top five in sales in a Fortune 500 growth company, and, and yet I, I was walking with the Lord, but it just got to this point where I'm like, Lord, it's not fulfilling. Help. And then I went through two years and eight months of just, just letting it go, going, Lord, I'll, I'll dig ditches. I just want to know I'm walking with you. And that humility of saying, Lord, I, I don't know what's missing. And that led to what I've been done for the last 28 years that has just been the greatest fulfillment of my life.
It's this walking humbly to say, Lord, I need your help. It says this in Matthew 5. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, those who seek God's purity, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for doing what is right. He's saying, hey, no matter what your circumstances, I'm going to bring you through it. Jesus lived. Live like Jesus. This is the way the writer of Philippians put it in chapter 2 about Jesus. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him in the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. If I want to experience the greatness of this life, it starts with walking humbly. He puts it this way in 1 Peter 5, 6. It's our choice. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He says it this way in James 4, 6. But he gives us more grace that is why the scriptures say God is opposed to the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Can I tell you, I've seen a direct correlation between fulfillment and wisdom and humility, a direct correlation. I've found that I go to Home Depot fewer times to complete a project when I humble myself while I'm there and say, well, there's three words and, and they're the, some, three of the most difficult words in the human, the English language, and, and mostly for men, because in our DNA and our, our physical structure, there's been studies that our tongue does not move in the way it should to be able to say these words. And, and the, the first three words are, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I've been to Home Depot sitting there, the guy's explaining it with all these assumptions. Well, show, okay, well, you do this and this, you know how to do this, right? And you know how to do this, right? And this is this, and well, you just, it's easy to just do this. And for me to stop and just go, I got no idea what you're talking about. You lost me at nail, okay? That, that's, I, that's about as good as I get. And you know what I found when I humble myself in situations? Almost 100% of the time. People go, oh, okay, well, let me help you. And if they do that, how much more is God going, I'm just, I'm just waiting for you. Waiting for you to say, I don't know, because I do, and I'm going to help you. And just, I found that I, where a normal project would be five trips, I'm down to about two trips now to Home Depot, because it's like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even know what, you might as well be speaking French, because I have no idea what you're talking about. But I really do want to do this project. And I don't want to hold you up, but if you got two minutes, if you can just share this. Oh, well, yeah, we well, need this. Do you understand what this means? Yeah, I know what that means. Okay, this one, I'm like, I, 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 I nothing. Well, you just take sandpaper and you do this. I'm like, oh, that's what that means. Okay. And I've just found as I get older and my hair is proof that I'm getting older, it's turning gray and turning loose at the same time. I'm not enjoying that at all. But I'm taking advantage because here's the deal. I now know a whole lot of what I don't know. And I know that I don't know most of what I thought I used to know. And I know my wife knows that I don't know. I think. 
And I'm learning to say, you know what? I don't know. And another one that I just, I found such power and it goes back to mercy and it goes back to doing what's right. Instead of defending my point and defending where I am and hoping and thinking, I just say these three words a whole lot more recently. I was wrong. I was wrong. Man, I missed it. I'm sorry. I'm even asking my wife this on a regular basis now. I asked her last night at dinner. I said, honey, it's just us. Is there anything you wish was different about me? What do I need to change? And she's so gracious. And, And even in the midst of frustration, I'll ask her sometimes. I'm like, am I getting any better at that? Because I really am trying. And she'll be like, yeah, you're not as bad as you used to be. And it just, and she's so gracious and so merciful. But here's the deal. I can't change your circumstances. I can tell you if we make these decisions, God begins to work. And he's already working. It says blessed is, not blessed will be. It's already within us. It's already there. He wants us to discover the poor in spirit that we are. Discover that our world is messed up. Discover mercy. He wants us to discover the blessings that are there. When we do, we will discover joy, peace, fulfillment, significance, everything that our bodies and minds and hearts long for. I want you to notice a couple words as I wrap up with these few verses. In Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I've seen the passion of the Christ. I've heard depictions of the cross. If there's one word that does not come to my mind, it is joy. And the cross was not joy. But because of joy, he endured the cross. And what God is saying for you and I, the way Jesus lived... I'm going to endure whatever this world has to throw at me, but I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to love mercy, and I'm going to walk humbly, which was the culmination of the cross. And to that, he discovered joy, the joy that's going to come from these people getting to experience how I lived. It says this in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good for the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It says it this way in James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because God says it is our opportunity to decide. Am I going to decide to do what is right, to do justly? Am I going to decide when I've been hurt to love mercy? Am I going to decide to walk humbly? When I do that, it changes everything. Wow, Ken, what a great finale on the Like Jesus series. We kicked off with the Think Like Jesus, the Pray Like Jesus, and this one, the one you just heard, Live Like Jesus, talking about decisions. One of the most difficult actions you and I have to make every single day in every category, right? Personal, family, work. No doubt you'll listen to this one again and again, and after which... Tell someone you know who is in the Valley of Indecision to check it out as well. You can hear it on iTunes or SoundCloud. Speaking of checkout, Ken's website, check that out, and his Facebook. Great places to see videos, 
peruse the resources, books, and details about the duct tape date night. Also, you can check out Ken's itinerary. He may be speaking at a venue near you. Go to KenKington.com or on Facebook, Ken Kington. Of course, Ken is spelled with two ends. Next time on the God and Reality Podcast with Ken Kington, Ken and I have another in-studio sit-down. In fact, as we enter the holiday season, Ken and I will be doing more sit-downs right up until 2019. It's going to be awesome, so join us. Until next time on the Ken Kington Podcast, God and Reality, I'm your host, Rick Probst. See ya. See ya.